everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. And now we're talking, Darian. Hello and welcome. Today is April 6th, and today our guest is a man who almost needs no introduction, David yep. Genovese. Uh, his name is truly becoming synonymous with Darianne. You know, I look forward to talking with him because a lot of people might know his name, but not know just how influential he has been in this community. And to, to give you some context, he's a real estate developer who owns many iconic properties in this town. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You are pretty much not a Darian resident. I'll go out on a limb and say, if you haven't been to one of David's properties in town. And if you don't mind, Tara, let me just like list off a few of these so people kind of get a sense of the stuff he's doing. And our listeners have an idea here. We've got um, Bodega and the built, you know, the tenants around that, like Upper Crust. Um, We've got the 1020 Post structure, which is 1020 Post, our great restaurant. Um, You know, next to that, McLaughlin and um, Gopher. Gopher, yes. We've got across the street, Grebe's Pharmacy, a Darien staple, mm-hmm. my lord. And next to that, then, you know, Pliables just joined Warms there. Um, and then you go behind 1020 along Old King's Highway, and you've got all those buildings, the schoolhouse there, the black office building is his. Yeah, um, now he's doing 34 and 36 Old King's Highway. One of those is going to be the new Baywater office buildings as well. Um, oh, and he's also influenced the meat house which is at the post road and academy street that's where healthy child is in some residential units and grove street plaza our famous grove street plaza we have neat and the melting pot and flower water salt yeah and and i didn't even go into the his development at corbin district i mean he also owns from bank america when you enter downtown all the way around that corner to the post office And then he's, you know, he doesn't own, but he's working with owners across the street to develop that whole side of East Corp. And that will be the beginning of his project where you have the gas station and there's a karate shop there and, you know, some law offices like. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, the the activity is insane and that's going to start soon. I can't wait to talk to him about that. And I guess, you know, without any further discussion, I'd love to introduce the man, the myth, the legend, David Genovese. Thank you so much for being here and kick it off for us. Tell us how you got started. Uh, well, thanks for having me. You guys are great. Uh, it's been fun listening to your podcast. I mean, I didn't start off doing real estate development. I started off as an investment banker in New York. So I came out here in 2001. So you company. grew up in Darien, right? I did. And went to Colby College? I went to Colby. Well, I went to, I went to you know, Royal, then Tokenique. Yeah. I got redistricted from Littlebrook Road. Then my parents moved over to Salem Straits. So I, was, I stayed in Tokenique. Mather Junior High, which is now Town Hall. Oh, my gosh. Um, to the high school, to Colby. Okay. Uh, spent a year at the London School of Economics and then uh, ended up at Bankers Trust Company in New York in the real estate group. Yep. And um, I wanted to be in, I wanted to go into real estate development, but I graduated in 1989 when the market was a disaster. So, um, so wait, but so you were on Wall Street. Were you, what were you actually doing in the commercial development space? So I was a real estate investment banker. So I advised companies on buying real estate, selling real estate, financing real estate. And then when the public market uh, evolved and the REIT market kind of was reborn in the early to mid nineties, the group I was in was a, a part of basically helping take companies public and then doing mergers and acquisitions and stock offerings and bond offerings and everything. So I touched pretty much every aspect of the real estate sector um, I worked mostly on office with office companies, some hotel companies, some retail companies. But you know, I was working nationally and then internationally. I moved to Prague for a while. I lived in Prague. I was an advisor to the government of, of Czechoslovakia. Holy cow! On a project, yeah, which was really cool. How did you get that? 
Truthfully, yes. No one else wanted to go to Prague, so it was like 1992. We were we were engaged by the city of Prague to advise them in this privatization of a hotel, and the Communist Party had built this outrageous hotel called the Hotel Praha, and I was the young, 22, 23-year-old hungry on the deal, and my bosses, you know, were working the deal, and we would fly from New York to Prague and back and to London and back to meet the investors and so on. And at one point, the mayor of Prague put his foot down and called the CEO of Bankers Trust and said, you know, this isn't going fast enough. Your people kind of keep jetting in and jetting out. My political career is on the line. This has to get done. I want boots on the ground. So my, the head of the group turns to all the vice presidents and managing directors on the deal and says, all right, well, who's it going to be? Who's moving to Prague? And everybody- <laughs> A lot of fingers sort of, on the nose on that one. Yeah, and yeah. everybody went like, I don't think I can do that with my kids, my wife, but, but, but. And I raised my hand and I said, I'll go. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> they have a yeah. good disco experience. Oh yeah. I imagine. It was really <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, I was in Prague right after the wall came down and literally oh as, you know, capitalism was taking hold, restaurants were opening. It was pretty extraordinary. So- um, cool. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. But I had a great run. I learned a lot in investment banking. But in November, uh, September 11th occurred. And I was literally working at uh, Credit Suisse First Boston at the time. Where was that office? I was up at 11 Madison. I had moved. I, at Bankers oh. Trust, I was at 130 Liberty. So I would have been across the street. Um, but at that point, I had moved to Credit Suisse for a couple of years. And I was um, at, at 11 Madison Park. And how old were you at the time? Uh, like 32. Okay. And still, were you still single? No, Julie and I were engaged. No, we were married. We were married. Oh. Yeah, we were married. And I, was, I had been working on a project in Los Angeles with this client who was an incredible developer of like many of the biggest buildings in Los Angeles. And he controlled this whole site in West LA called Playa Vista, where Google actually just opened up their headquarters uh, for, for LA. And we had come to an agreement to sell his company, and the deal was done but for due diligence when September 11th occurred and the buyer walked away and said it's too risky one of the buildings was the tallest build building west of the Mississippi and they thought that there was too much terrorism risk oh, wow. that that building would be a target yeah makes so sense. they walked away you couldn't really get they couldn't get comfortable with the idea of owning that building in this new world that we might have been in and um the client you know he he owned this stuff personally and he was like I'll never forget screaming at me to get on a plane you know, September 12th, 13th, the airlines weren't even running. Right. And he was in LA and I don't think he was as sensitive to kind of what we were feeling in that moment. And I remember turning to Julie and saying like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like I loved investment banking, but I had just, I had had a great run and I just felt like it was time to do something different. So my dad had sold his building materials and heating oil company. And he knew a lot about you know, mechanical systems and heating and cooling and electrical and plumbing. And I knew nothing about any of that. But he was investing with a single-family builder, basically building single-family houses around Fairfield County. And they would do like one project a year. And I called him and I, I called him from my office in November. And I said, listen, you know, I've got this idea. I've always wanted to do something on my own. You have this knowledge about the mechanical systems. I have knowledge about finance and valuation. Um, why don't we start a company? And he said, cool, let's do it. So literally, I moved out. To, well, Julie and I were building our house, but I moved my office out to Stanford at the time. And we started looking for investment opportunities and bought a, an industrial park in South Norwalk, started working there. We started uh, investing in Darien in 2002. 
And the first property that we acquired was uh, the building where Bodega is. So Bodega and Upper Crest Bakery. Okay. Um, we subsequently built 1020 Boston Post Road, where 1020 restaurant and the new parlor pizza will open on friday okay and that's uh, the block that inspired the artwork for this podcast so i love thank that you. i love that yeah you're very imitation is the greatest mm. form of flattery <laughs> did you notice that dave what yeah it's awesome i love the blade the hanging sign well you know to your architectural review board i we always appreciate to, a good sign yeah, you appreciate a good blade <laughs> sign taylor actually drew that artwork she hand drew did you artwork? really yeah well i used the photo to sketch the perspective and then sort of modified it but Anyway, well, going. one thing I would tell you about your your artwork. So that gas lantern that is in the image, that's a Bevelo fixture from New Orleans. Oh, and wow. it's kind of important and relevant because, you know, I get a lot of credit for some of the work that's going on in downtown. But the truth of it is a lot of other people have kind of laid the foundation. Uh, most importantly for me, Penny Glassmeyer and Penny built Grove Street Plaza she was building Grove Street Plaza when I moved out here. Wait, you're getting ahead of yourself. I want to ask wow. about this, but this is you too come, exciting. You want yes. to come back to it? Yes. Okay, we can come back to it. We built 1020. Then we built uh, the, the 17 Old Kings Highway South office building uh, in a pretty dark hour in 2010, um, which is just an office building. So a lot of people don't know it, but it's that red brick building that sits behind CVS. Like the schoolhouse? It looks like a schoolhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we bought and renovated 36 Old Kings Highway South, which is a medical building that sits behind 1020 Boston Post Road. Uh, we built that was which is a haunted house during Halloween, right? No, that's 34 Old oh, Kings 34. Highway South. Sorry. So that's a new project. That'll be a building that we're building uh, beginning next week, actually. Oh wow! But that'll be very different. That's going to be a more contemporary office building, where we're actually going to move our offices. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. We bought a uh, bought and built. Um, we're at 745 Boston Post Road, which is a high-end apartment building with uh, the, the Healthy Child, yep. now part of Stanford Hospital. Mead um, House, Mead right? House. Yeah. So that was actually the first project built under the inclusionary zoning regulations. Oh, right. So we did and that project. And explain what those are for the listeners that don't know. So um, in, in, in an effort to kind of address the affordable housing goals set by the state, Darian uh, put in place an inclusionary zoning regulation a few years ago that basically said if you build more than five units, 12% of what you build must be either rented or sold affordably to someone making 80% of state median income, or you could contribute to the um, to this affordable housing trust fund. At that time, at the moment that we were proposing 745 Post Road, the town had an idea to build senior affordable housing behind Middlesex School where the old senior center was. And they needed money to basically, what we kind of called the venture capital money, to figure out if it would actually work. Right, off Edgerton Road. Correct. And so um, we basically, they said to us at that moment, we'd rather have the money than the units because if you give us the payment that you would be required to make under the inclusionary zoning regulation, which was about $300,000, we can take that money and then use it to fund the pre-development costs paying the architects, the engineers, and others to figure out if this will actually work. Right. So um, the town asked that we make a payment into the trust fund. So we made the first payment into the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, which was a novel thing for Darien. We had never had one before. With the Mead Project. With the Mead Project. Okay. You know, as I did the research for this podcast, like it feels like you've been, you know, and this goes back to like the theme of the last one, right? That there's been so much thoughtful development in this town. Like when the town is communicating with the developer and saying, this is what we actually need, rather than a formula. It really turns out well for the community. So, oh, definitely. Thank you. You know, we had an active, we have, have had and enjoyed a very active dialogue with the town 
and all kinds of people within the town. I mean, I joke around that I'm sort of a walking focus group. You know, my wife, much to the chagrin chagrin of my wife. Yeah. (laughs) Like if she sends me to Palmer's to go get milk on Saturday morning, I'll come back like two and a half hours later. And right. She'll say, where the hell How are you? How is business doing here? Who have you seen lately? What are your thoughts and concerns about taxes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. And it's been an unexpected, you know, aspect of this. Um, Did you always think you would be back to Fairfield County though? I've, yeah, I wanted to be. I mean, I loved Darianne. Why? And I love the people. I love the place. I love, you know, the access to New York City. Yeah. Um, were you, you know, what were you like as a kid? Were you a cool kid? Were you a nerdy kid? Were you an athlete? I was in between. <laughs> what does that, what does that look like? Um, I would say I was nerd. I was very nerdy <laughs> in the beginning. My friends were all the like hockey players, great guys like Ward Glassmeyer, Brad Elders, Trev Spain. Give these guys some shout outs. Oh, those are your boys in Those town? were my boys. You know, the girls didn't really pay that much attention to me, but I like to say that I'm like a fine wine. I've just gotten better with age. <laughs> And we um, need Julian here to confirm this. No, no, but, but no, I, I had, I had an awesome childhood. I mean, my parents, you know, were not from Darien. They were all their friends lived in Stanford. They moved to Darien to get us into the school system. You know, when I, when I graduated from when, when I was born, my father was an oil burner repairman. He was literally fixing oil burners. So like, if your oil burner crapped out, you know, he would be the one that would often show up or like at Arnold bakery, You know, and if the bakery furnaces went down on Saturday night and it was, you know, my sister's birthday, it didn't matter. My dad had to go fix the burners to like keep the bakery running. Right. We, I have a local um, p- company that does that for us right now. A local guy. They're, they're great, but they, they work. It's hard work. You call them on Easter in the middle of the night and they come fix your boiler. It's They're coming. So and so you know, your- we had an interesting background because it was sort of like a blue collar business. It was a very blue collar business, but and my dad, my dad's family, my great grandfather had started it, so my dad was became an owner of it. But his dad, you know, said, "Look, you're going to learn the business from the bottom. You're going to be yeah, fixing and that's burners. the best way to do it, right? And you want to be in business with that guy too, because then you know you've got the finance, like you said, but you've, he's got the practical experience. Oh yeah, I mean, what? he knows how to do. He can fix just about it. He's kind of a, Mag- a modern day MacGyver. That's awesome. Oh, that's sexy. Yeah. Where's your totally. dad? And a pilot. And he's a pilot. He can fly planes. No, I mean, so he's I pretty. Sell me down here. You got the repair guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she has these Navy SEAL fantasies, yeah. skydiving. But <laughs> and he's got a and he's got Harley Davidsons. Oh my God, this is too much. I'm sweating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so your dad was he we successful? Have to change the rating on this like, podcast. Yeah. Was he economically successful? I should say. Well, I would say that he was economically successful enough to live here and provide for us. There were good times and bad times. You know, ec- there were economic cycles and there were moments where it seemed like as an entrepreneur, like employing a lot of people, but in the building ma- building business, you know, there were dark times where like it wasn't clear if he was going to like lose his business. So it was a little boom bust. But was Darian like then? I don't, when was this? The 80s, 70s? 70s. Was, was Darian that like it is today as far as socioeconomic means? Was I, it, it was well, different. I mean, I think peop- there, was, there was more diversity of employment. I mean, I had friends whose parents were in, we didn't really know what people did in a way. Mm-hmm. We know more now than we did. I think my kids know more than we did. But I think there were, there were doctors and publishers and advertising people. And, but then when we moved, when Julie and I moved out here in 2002, it just seemed like everybody moving in was a banker. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the great things that I see now is I see an increase, increasing amount of diversity of employment. And again, I see increasing diversity of ethnicity and race. I think there's a lot 
going on now that's positive. That's exciting. Um, what, what changed when, when you grew up? What changed from when you grew 70s up? 70s to the 2000s? To 2000s to when it was like, well, yeah, why the financial influx? I think well, that I mean, was just a function of the financial services boom that this country experienced, right? I mean, Wall Street was on fire, you know, through the 90s and 2000s and 2008 was pretty scary. Everything changed. Did Everything that af- changed. Well, did that affect your decision to want to be out here because you saw more people moving out to the suburbs? Uh, not really. That wasn't really happening at the time. It was more, you know, I loved investment banking. I like loved it. I loved the young people, the energy, the intelligence of the people. Like I thrived on. You know, like, the, the day when you were an investment banker, that was like the hard years where you guys were all going out to like 4 a.m. <laughs> oh God. That was the investment banker. <laughs> not, that I not, not my group. Not my group. <laughs> is, I worked, Is this like, when you claim your nerdy side? <laughs> no, no. But I mean, <laughs> we were, we were working a hundred hours a week. I mean, it was, yeah. Corporate yeah. finance in that era was bananas. And, you know, we didn't have the same technology. We didn't have really, it, like, external email in the beginning of my career. Like, we didn't have any of that. You had pagers. We had pagers. But go back to when you were a kid. Like, when you were living in Darien growing up, did you ever look at it and, like, dream big and say, you know, this town could be so much more? Is that, is, does that, did that inspire you? To be you? honest with you, no. I mean, I didn't really see it. Um, I love the people. I felt like when I got to Wall Street... I felt like I had a great advantage because I'd interacted with, as a kid, so many intelligent, hardworking people, so many interesting people that, you know, when I was there, you know, when people would say, oh, it's time to go talk to the boss, Dick Gunthal, who's now my partner actually also with the Glassmeyers in, in the project downtown. So I've been working with this guy for literally 30 years. Is this your silent partner, your other silent yeah, partner? Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Richard Gunthal. Okay, now he's outed. He's, Where are he's, you, Richard? He's not we're, really. We're, we're going to find you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's amazing. But like he, people would be intimidated to go talk to him, you know? When they're 20, 21, 22. And not the guy me, who raises his hand to go to Prague. I raised my hand to go to Prague. And also, <laughs> like in Darien at that time, you know, there were like six very senior people from IBM living in Darien, raising their families. All their kids were in our classes. Like we were interacting with really interesting, high powered corporate people, like from, a, from an early age. And so I never really felt like intimidated by people. I saw them as human beings, whether they were the CEO or the truck driver. And so I think that in a way, like my background was just, when I look back, it's been perfect for what I do now because to do what I do, I interact with all kinds of people. You know, I don't just interact with banks. I work with electricians and bankers and lawyers and carpenters and cleaning people. And it's a really, I mean, I love what I do because it's, every day is totally different and unpredictable. Um, But I, you know, we're here to talk about Darian. So I'll tell you, I mean, the thing that's most amazing to me about like the place I ended up is that, you know, I, I didn't plan this. I didn't plan on getting so involved in, in the Darien real estate situation, but well, you, you know, moved back to Stanford. So you weren't even trying to be in Darien or is that just a temporary stop? It was, a, it was where we set up the office. Um, okay. so and, you, were, you were living though in Stanford. No, no. I, I had bought a house in Neroten Bay. Oh, okay. And Julie and I were building the house back then. You were doing well, Genovese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had a good, I had a good run. And, that's great. Uh, that's but, but, that's but, the i banking side that you yeah. like. But I did something. I mean, it was so stupid. Julie was pregnant. We were building a house, and I quit my job all at the same time. Oh my god! If I was your wife, I was, no, you know I was what? Kidding. She has been amazing. I mean, literally, I'll I'll never forget the night I came home and said, "I think I'm going to quit," and she said, "Really?" And I go, "Yeah, I think it's time." I think I want to start this real estate company. And she said, you should do it. Because at that point, 
you know, the crazy client in LA was calling me all hours of the night, oh, sure. fly back to LA, you know, get your butt out here. We got to work on this project. And, you know, at one point she said to me, like, you know, and I, oh, I said, maybe I'll just go one more year, get one more bonus. And of that's course. kind of the line yes. of all it investment bankers. Yeah. Yes. And the reality is, it's never enough. I was tempted to keep going. And she looked at me and said, you know, I'm pregnant. We're having our first baby, you know, in six months or whatever it was. And she said, you know, if you don't do it now, you'll probably never do it. And, you know, she said, I'll never forget it. She's like, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't see you. And I don't know what you think you're working for, but like at the end of the day, I'd rather live in Vermont with you, but see you, you know, than live yeah. in Darien in this house and you are stuck on this treadmill, you know, doing what you're doing. If you think that's important to me, like it's not. So she kind of gave me the courage to pull the trigger and do it. That's great. Which was pretty, woman. yeah, she's an amazing partner. How'd you guys meet? Um, it's funny you should ask that. Do you know Sam at the gas station next to uh, Shake Shack? At the no. Exxon Mobil? Yeah, I can't. It's always changing. I think is it Exxon Mobil? Yeah, the owner of it. He he's the manager. Yeah, Sam, yeah, he's great. great. He, guy. Yeah, he's great. So, so the other day we he's pulled very out. interesting. Yeah, he's a great guy. So we we pulled in the other day to, to see to to get something, and Sam came out and he was talking to me about my family and how's your family? My family's great. And how's yours? He goes, oh, my wife is great. She's just so great. I'm so lucky. I said, <laughs> you are. I go, that's the most important decision we make. He goes, I know, but I didn't make the decision. Mine was an arranged marriage. No. And I said, mine was too. And he goes, what? And I go, yeah. My, my mother and father set me up with Julie through her mother and father. Oh, we, were on a, we went on a blind date set up by our parents. Are you guys Italian? Uh, I am, but she's not. She's German and English and Irish. Wait, so she, she's from Darien too? Mm-mm. She's from Greenwich. Ah, so how yeah. do they know each other? Uh, Julie's dad volunteered in a nursing home in Stamford that my mother volunteered, uh, my mother worked at. Oh my, gosh. my mom worked at St. Camilla's Health Center for a number of years, and Julie's dad was a volunteer there. I, wait, so when, how, this is adorable. How old were you when you got set up then? I was 27. She was 22. Okay. So you would kind was of... Was this before or after the spadtastics? Oh, way after. The spadtastics. Way after. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> you guys like the spadtastics? I love the spadtastics. Yeah. They're great, right? Who doesn't? If you, you cannot live in Darien if you don't love the spadtastics. I agree. I agree. No, they're great. Well, I, I, I like to say that my, one of my claims to fame is I was in the first band that became the Spadtastics. I was the rhythm guitarist with Dave Spadacini in the basement at, um, on Nearwater Lane in his house. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, my, but, but so Julie, Julie uh, middle schools, uh, junior high school, so awesome. like seventh grade. Awesome. Yeah, we played The Ocean by Led Zeppelin, Sunshine of Your Love by Cream, and Roxanne. That was it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, We're going to have to relive this at ne- some point. We need that song. Yeah, but I never got out of the basement. So Julie <laughs> says it because we never got out of the basement. I can't say I was in the band. <laughs> yeah, it's probably good you got out of that to secure that relationship with Julie. Maybe you oh, wanted yeah. to put that in your past. Oh yeah. I mean, I could have been a rock star. So did, she, did she work? Julie? Yeah. Yeah, she was a teacher. She was a teacher in Manhattan. So she was working a teacher in Manhattan. You were, she was never seeing you. You guys get married, engaged. Well, we'd meet late at night for dinner. I mean, we would like meet at night and then I'd have to go back to work. I mean, it was, it's a crazy life. That is a crazy life when you're like an associate VP Truly. in those investment banks. My brother did that. It's insane. Yeah. He's asleep under his desk. Like three days in a row, yeah. we'd get the office. <laughs> yeah, but, under his desk for a few minutes but, and get back but, up again. But the value is you learn so much. Yeah. You know, you get exposed to so much and you learn so much. So to me, like the blessing is that, you know, I got the benefit of all that experience and then came here. And honestly, what happened was that um, in, in about 2003, Yvonne Klein was the first select woman of Darianne. 
And I met her at a chili party on Nearwater Lane at Britt Bear and Mike Bear's house. What's a chili party? It's something we do in Neroten Bay. Okay. I don't know if we can talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> we don't talk about chili. No, it's just a chili party. I was like, what? No, no. Everybody brings like their own chili like and it's like a test? tasting contest. Yeah, yeah oh. kind of a taste test, taste contest, a chili contest. Oh, like chili the soup, not like a hot chili pepper. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> just a chili soup. So, okay, so go on. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so I, I'm at this chili party and Yvonne Klein, who I did not know, uh, came up to me and basically said, you know, I have this idea that downtown Darien needs to be improved, that... Younger, the younger generation wants something different than the older generations wanted. Um, you know, there was a group of people back in the day in Darien that thought, you know, we don't want a lot of restaurants or retail. Right. We don't want an active downtown or vibrant downtown. We can go to Greenwich or New Canaan. We can go to dinner at our club or we'll go out when we want to eat. But we don't want like a lot of people coming in from out of town in traffic and the headache. We don't yeah. want that. Well, what did Darien look like then? It's a lot of antique shops. Okay. Uh, real estate offices and banks. It was, post, it was just Post Road, and, and was Neroten? Neroten was what Neroten was. You okay. know, it was like neighborhood retail. You know, the bookstore, Barrett Bookstore was up there. 1950s strip mall Stop style. and shop Walgreens. Yeah, liquor store. Okay. Two liquor stores. Always. You know, yeah, the more the merrier. You've had a shortage of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and Yvonne said, you know, I think the younger generation really wants something different. Would you get involved? And at the time, Brilliant. I didn't own any real estate in Darien other than my house. And I said, what do you mean involved? She said, well, I want some volunteers to help figure this out and see if there's something we can do. And she had, she had gotten involved with or had heard about the National Trust for Historic Preservation, their Main Street program. And so basically, the National Trust sponsors a Main Street program in every state of the United States. And, and they basically advise towns on how to improve their downtowns and economic, how to improve economic vitality with an emphasis on you know, sensitivity to architectural heritage and, you know, emphasis on local, locally owned business. Yes. And making the places kind of unique and cool. You're speaking my language. Yeah. No, and it really resonated for me yeah. because I, and, and I really did it as a volunteer, like to help. And there were business owners, brokers, residential brokers. There were some great people that I met through that effort. And, I, and we were this band of volunteers I'll never forget it. We went to the Planning and Zoning Commission and said, here's what we want to do. We were asking for money from the town. The town, as a part of the program, the ha town had to commit, like, I think $10,000 or something. And we went to the Board of Selectmen, and we went to the Planning and Zoning Commission and made our case. And, you know, people were kind of negative. They were a little hesitant and concerned. I'm not sure they really believed that there was that much interest in doing this in Darien. And... Um, so we, we proceeded, we, we got a grant from the town, and then we had to raise more money because part of the program required that you have a full-time director. And so Debbie Parnon, who's an amazing volunteer in Darien, stepped up to be the executive director, but we had to compensate her for this. It was a part-time job. So where's this money coming from? We had to raise it privately. Okay. And there were all these skeptics, in my opinion, in town government. Now I might upset some people with this, but I'll tell you <laughs> what really, in my opinion, happened. Um, Tom Geary, do you know Tom Geary from Geary Gallery? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I really Just like an Tom. amazing man. He's great, yeah. Amazing guy. So he was very involved, and he and I said, all right, we'll host a party. I think I offered to host the party without telling Julie. <laughs> okay. Again, this woman is amazing. <laughs> She's kind of a saint. And we we put an Evite out. Um, In to, like 2005? This was like 2004. And people were skeptical. And we said, look, we would like to invite you to this party 
and and we're going to have a band play. I think we had this fantastic actually. <laughs> Shout it out to the comes, old band. It all comes back to this fantastic, of course. And um, we we hosted the party, put an evite out, and literally like six hundred people signed up in like two days, and they donated, and we raised a hundred thousand dollars off of an evite. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Tom Geary and I were like, well, I won't take credit for making this, the clam chowder. Tom made the clam chowder and we like prepared it and we were like grilling burgers and dogs and giving out clam chowder and we had the band. But we, you could see people like engaging and saying like, yes, we want that. And I think that's been the most interesting thing around it that, you know, this effort that we've kind of been on, this journey we've been on for almost 15, 16 years. That was the birth of it. That was the birth of it. And it's and it's been very collaborative and yeah. organic. And, you know, um, and it kind of gave us the confidence to do more, to invest more. And now, I mean, Liz, you see it with uh, ARB. You have other developers coming in. You know, in the beginning, it was just Penny. Right. And Arthur Collins and Tom Golden renovated the Playhouse building. You know, now John Vaccaro's gotten very active. Yep, yep. So, you know, we kind of were the pioneers in a way. Penny really was the pioneer and Arthur uh, Collins and Tom Golden. But now others are sort of seeing this happen and, and believing in it. And the town's been, you know, amazing in terms of like supporting well, locally sensitive development. Yes, that's true. Sorry to so cut what you did, off. What did that first $100,000 pay for? It paid for uh, the staff. You know, we had to hire people. We had to hire um, the executive director, we, we had to, you know, pay fees to the, um, Connecticut main street center. I can't remember now exactly what the budget was, but, but it wasn't were, to purchase a particular property. No, no, no. It was oh. all for just overhead for the program. And it was I just see. a bunch of volunteers. And then, you know, once the ball got rolling, you know, then we hit 2008 and to be, to be candid, like in 2008, I was not comfortable asking people to donate for downtown improvement. Yeah. You know, just for like salaries and overhead. And, and we were now getting more actively involved in building. And so my thought was, okay, you know, DR, we called it DRI, the Darien Revitalization Initiative. Yes. That was sort of like the, that was like the venture capital that got the ball rolling, that kind of showed a path. And then the private sector sort of stepped in and started executing. And with each success, more people were drawn to participate and now you see what you see. So you getting, were you buying smaller properties along the way yourself? I had been negotiating to buy um, the building where Greaves is. The building where there was a, there was an historic. I wasn't an historic building. I want to be careful, but it was sort of a character building. And um, I had an agreement to buy the, the, those three properties from the owner, who was a Darien resident. And then he decided to put it into the market for sale. And a developer from Greenwich came in and bought or agreed to buy the buildings at a certain price, a higher price than I had agreed to pay because he was going to just knock it all down and build new buildings. Right. And and as I said to him, the, the seller, I said, listen, I grew up here. My mother and father live here. I live here. If I, Greaves was paying a below market rent. If I pay, if I raise the rent on Greaves and they close, I'll be attacked. I can't do that. Yeah. And he really didn't care. So um, he agreed to sell to the guy from Greenwich, but Greaves had a right to buy their building out of any sale. So oh. I approached the folks from Greaves, the Hibbins, who are an amazing family, and basically made them aware of what was going on. And I said, look, if you, you should buy your building because you're going to get kicked out. Yeah. And if you want my help, I'll help you. And Debbie Hibben, you know, who That's I'd known awesome. for a long time, basically said, we would love to do that. So we partnered with the Hibbins and bought the building together and signed a new lease. 
And Greaves is still here. Greaves would have been gone Thank 15 you. years ago. And that look of that building I is there too, which yeah. gives a good, you know, visual pattern of that streetscape. Yeah. Little yeah. things that add up. I mean, people don't realize how many different projects there are right. well, in all of this. You talked earlier, we first started this project and we were looking at our artwork and you're talking about the lamps oh, yeah. and you mentioned Penny Glassmire. We got to talk about Penny right. because I, I use the, we say the word amazing on here a few times, but that adjective really applies yeah. to Penny and what she's done for this town. People have no idea. Well, maybe they do. I feel like you're getting teary eyed. I might be. Oh. <laughs> um, when did you first meet Penny? When I was... Uh, when you were five out, years old. Goofing around with Ward? Wow. Yeah, we were playing street hockey on Cove's End Road. And, uh, you know, she would basically put us to work. And if we wanted a soda, she would make us stack wood before we could have the soda. That's so, a good woman I love right that. there. Yeah, she's, she's got a good work ethic. <laughs> um, and did, and she had a vision for this town <clears throat> long before. She did. <clears throat> she was building residential um, homes. In, in Darien and um, a bit, couple in Norwalk, but mostly Darien and extraordinary homes. She was approached by the town. I don't know what year it was. I know it took her about 10 years to get through the zoning process. Is this, are you going to start? For Grove Street Plaza. Oh, you're, wow. not, not, not Meat House, Grove no, Street no, Plaza. No, this is way before. This is Grove Street Plaza, which she's, she was approached by Jeremy's predecessor, and Rain that's where, Nermy. just so for the listeners, that's where Neat and, and Flower, Water, Water salt, salt, Melting Pot. Correct. Yeah. And um, great fountain. Yeah. So she, she, she was a residential builder, and they, they trusted her, and they knew she would that whatever she did, she would do it with a, an eye to quality. Um, and town, because at the time, town was a narrow strip down the post road. If people don't, a lot of people today don't know this. It was this busy post road, right? There's just a couple places along, but it didn't have the depth. Correct. we now see that you've been a part of so yeah don't yeah. talk to that too yeah no well grove street what you know ray nermy the, the the zoning director at the time i mean he saw the opportunity that area was pretty blighted there was there were some beaten down homes and there was like an auto repair shop i mean it's kind of hard to imagine what was there if you saw pictures you, you wouldn't believe it i'll send you guys some pictures yeah, of what was amazing. there before we put them up on instagram yeah yeah, yeah you could you could show what she did i have some before and afters um so she was approached by the town to do this. She assembled the properties. She bought the properties. But then when she came forward with her idea, it took like 10 years to get through zoning. It was something crazy like that. I don't, I'm Our not sure it was exactly zone? Darian zoning. Darian zoning. So it's their idea. I know. But then that was, was 10 if years. If Hartford so. thinks that we can't do our own zoning, you just come down here and you see what we put our people through. Oh, yeah. It's pretty tough. <laughs> um, but she built, she was building that project when Julie and I moved out. And she, she, She's like an artist, okay? She, she really, her focus is almost exclusively upon the aesthetics of the place and the interiors, interiors of the apartments. And how it relates to the environment. And how it relates to the place, scale. She doesn't, she's not, I would say she doesn't think about like the economic picture as much as I do. I kind of start with the economics in a way and then go from there. That's yeah, a good, good part team. To make sure it yeah. works. Yeah. Good partnership. Yeah, but the thing is like, the gift that I also received from her was that she set that bar. Like the quality of the development that she did at Grove Street Plaza, that is not, that is unprecedented. Right. I mean, the only project I've seen around this region or maybe even in the country that approaches that, I think David Waldman in Westport did a really good job with the um, Bedford Square project, the old Westport Y, where anthropology is. Um, but Penny set the bar. And those, right. to, it, back to your image, you know, those Bevelo light fixtures, those those gas-fired light <laughs> fixtures, I mean, nobody had ever done that before. 
Penny did that at Grove They're Street. Pretty Penny there. That's that's where she that's where it started. And so she finished Grove Street. I helped her a little bit with some financing issues and helped her think about the tenants. And then over time, I helped her re-tenant and kind of what I would say like really enliven that place by by putting um, espresso the, neat. The DG over- specialty. What, the neat? DG specialty, bring in your diplomatic relations and, and, and make it personal, bring it home. Yeah. This is what you do. Yeah, it's better. Well, because in the beginning, she built this beautiful place, but nobody was really enjoying the plaza. You know, melting pot's not open in the day. Mm. There was a um, kid's clothing store in the back and a, ju- and a, right, and a so cosmetic smart. store in the front. So there was no life there. And so when when 2008 hit and the first couple of tenants went out of business, one couple moved to South Carolina, we had the opportunity to retenant, and we put espresso neat and um, very smart and a, a go figure the uh, Pilates oh, yeah. or a bar method kind of program, and the place just became alive. And mm-hmm. flower water salt just poured gas on the burning ember. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember standing out there this summer, and I mean, I don't. I was going to go to the Corbin Project next, but I want to talk about Corbin Cares. This past summer, you did the most exceptional thing, um, and tell us about how that started. I guess it was in the spring, really, that it was born, um, right after COVID hit, and you. I mean, really, I don't need to explain it. You can. It would be more eloquent. So go ahead. Thank you for um, doing this. You're welcome. Uh, but again, it was a huge team effort. It was um, when COVID first struck, you know, I was honestly in shock. Weren't you scared? Come on. I was scared to death. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just thought, wow, you know, 20 years I've been working to, to do this and um, to build these projects and, you know, work with these different tenants and restaurants and retailers. And um, when there, I, I don't remember the exact date, but there was a moment where David Nelson and Jim Sullivan from 1020 Post, Mario Fontana from Bodega, we all got on the phone because we sort of realized like this was going to be bad. I don't know if you remember, but like in the beginning, I think a lot of us were a little skeptical. Like, is this really going to be as bad as they say, right. or is this just going to be a couple week thing? We can wait it out a little we bit. We can wait it out. And something happened, and I honestly don't remember. I think that's God's way of like helping you kind of power through dark times. Like I just blotted it out, but something triggered this conversation with all of our restaurant groups, and we and I was terrified, and I I was in a terrible mood. Well, I was like really having a hard time at home. But and put us your mental thought too. By the way, you had millions of millions of dollars on this project that you've already sent for yeah. that have been in the works for I mean 15 fi- years 15 years your whole family your life your ne- everything is built around this and then there's a freeze yeah. on brick and mortar yeah yeah I mean it, we kind of put it all I had basically put it all on the line and invested everything almost everything yeah. I had all the in chips the were idea. in and then and we were marching down the road getting ready to go and architects were working. We had the zoning approvals from the town. You finally got those. How and it's just a massive outflow of money to pay for all these people that are working on the project. And then COVID strikes, and we think we're going to lose all our tenants. And if we lose all our tenants, then there's no way that any bank will finance the project. And if we lose all the tenants also, like, you know, that's the different thing about being a local person. You know, if you lose all your tenants, you don't want to disappoint your friends. Like, to be yeah. candid... Yeah, I mean, this may not be where you wanted to go, but I derive an enormous amount of psychic income from the work that I do and the smiles I put on people's faces psychic when they go. Psychic income? Yeah, I like that. I call I it like psychic income. Term. I made it up. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, it's a yeah. real term. No, I love it. Qu- what was it, Quan in Jerry Maguire? Quan. Oh, yeah. Quan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Quan. Oh, yeah. 
and basically, you know, like when we, when you, when, you know, it's hard to imagine, but like the 41020 post, there were not a lot of restaurants where you'd go to town and run into your friends. Right. You know, no, there was Dalsetti's, which sadly closed, and the Goose, the Goose. But that closed in 08. So, you know, we derive a lot of psychic income. We have a lot of pride in like the place that we're helping create yeah. and the improvements that we're making. And if I feel like super privileged to be able to do this work, it's like, Every day I wake up and I pinch myself. I'm like, I can't believe I actually get to do this. And um, we have all these people at this point, all their their lives, their families, they've put all their chips in on you in oh, this totally. dream. And now you put all your chips in. Oh, totally. And the world is freezing and everyone's turning and looking at David Genovese and saying, What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And yeah. they're looking, Do you come out of your house with a scared look or no, are you I, smiling? Well, I mean, it depends on the day. So the first two days, <laughs> honestly, it was terrifying. It was absolute and utter fear you run to julie she's your she's your i i was it was dark i mean i would sit at the dinner table and just like i was in a horrible mood and i couldn't deal and this is kind of my mo i like go into shock for a day or two and then the the switch flips and i'm like okay time to pull myself up i have to deal i have to lead this charge and i got to get everybody through it because if i don't get them through it i'm not going to get through it so what are your kids saying this to they were like yeah. they were like oh god are you going to be okay i said i'm going to be fine so 7 a.m to 7 p.m i would literally sit in my in my study in my, that my kids commandeered made it their playroom but I, I commandeered it back and made it my study for this moment and i would just talk to the tenants and basically try to talk people off the ledge yeah and um it's a huge responsibility david to put on your shoulders that like yeah, but you know, we're all but we're all in it together. There's a mutual dependency. I mean, Rosie Costello, Helen, a Erica Jensen, Bill Jensen from the Toy, Toy Box, you know, Sheila Daly at Barrett Books. Like no one had ever been through anything like this before. So we spent a few days like talking every day to everyone, saying, "Don't worry, you just hold the thought on like paying rent." Like the first thing everybody panics about is, "Do I have to pay my rent?" That's what I was going to ask you. What do I have yeah. to do? And we said, "Look." You know, to be honest, this is not everyone's being impacted equally. You should pay what you can. If you can pay what you owe, pay it. Because if you all don't pay it, you know, then I can't help anyone. But you're kind of, we're all in this together. So, you know, some tenants had, their business was up as a result of COVID, right. weirdly. Um, other people were decimated. And so each of the, we have 350 tenants, wow. you know, through Fairfield County. So. Each one of those conversations was separate, but we kind of like were talking about how we were going to get through it and what we were going to do. Did you need that that those rents just to cover your basic operating costs to con continue this project? Well, that we we needed those rents just to pay taxes, insurance, d loans, debt service. Just to my exist. Team, okay, my so team. you weren't actually accomplishing anything as no, a project. You no. just were existing. By we were just trying to get through. And huh. then somewhere in the first like couple of weeks, Katie Stein, who you guys may know, Katie's on the board yeah. of Ed, amazing. One of our first friends when we moved to Darien, she moved around the same time as we did. Um, and we met through a friend in the city. She called me and said, you have to talk to my sister, Betsy. Betsy moved to Manhattan Beach. And she's done this really cool thing out in LA where she basically raised money from friends to um, buy meals from a restaurant she loves that she's worried about. And she's bringing those meals to the hospital. And you should talk to her because this is a really cool idea. That's awesome. And it was her sister's idea. It was her sister's idea. That's brilliant. And so That's awesome. Lisa Elwell, who works with me, who's yep. a rock of Gibraltar, especially through this time. She's um, a badass. She's awesome. She's pretty awesome. She and I um, got on the phone with this 
these two great women also who helped me with marketing matters, um, Anne Hardy and Kim Wallen. And we talked about it, and Anne knew of someone in Westport who was doing something similar, but really kind of on the fly off of a, a GoFundMe page. And I said, well, look, you know, what do we do? Like, we should do this. Like, we should do, do this, but let's do it our way. Like, let's dial it up a little bit, make it a little more professional. So we, we said, what are we going to name it? And we had called the project, the downtown project, the Corbin District. And it was literally like this, like, lightning bolt, like, hit me in the head. And I went, Corbin cares. Like, we care about you. And so we, they put the graphics together. We started to kind of hash it out. Ward Glassmeyer and I had been talking. I told him what we were thinking about. He's, Penny's son. Penny's son. He's now the chairman of, he's been for a long time, the chairman of the Darien Foundation. Yes. Which I'd been on the, the board for a while, years ago. Um, he said, that's pretty cool. I think we'd like to get behind that. You know, we could probably give you a grant. And, you know, you're helping local business. You're helping the first responders. You know, why don't we try to do something together? So we put the message out. And we raised like $200,000 in like three weeks. My God. During COVID. That is During awesome. COVID. When the world is panicking and people yeah. are scared when their next paycheck's coming. Yeah. David Genovese is able yeah. to do it. With, it was with amazing. With his team, obviously. With, yeah. yeah. It was amazing. But I think, honestly, like going back to the community, like what strikes me the most about this place, which is really what I think is like the, one of the more magical parts about it. And I always say this to people. It's like when the chips are down, people rally in this town. When someone, when a neighbor is in need, people dig deep and like figure it out. And I could give you 50 examples over the last 20 years of situations I've been in where, you know, someone needed something and we got a group of people together and helped. And I think people just needed, a, a, we just needed to show them a path to, to help. Yeah. And this was sort of an easy path. But if you talk to David Nelson or at 1020 Post yep. or Mario Fontana at Bodega, um, they would tell you like, it's why they're still here. So oh, to awesome. me, it was like this unbelievable, you know, win, 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 where we, we gave people the opportunity to help. We gave people the opportunity to help and say thank you to the first responders. And we helped the restaurants stay alive. And the restaurants stay and alive made food them. food insecure families and seniors. and right. Well, it broadened, right? That's what happened. So Jamie, we called Jamie Stevenson and said, look, here's this big picture idea. You know best. Like, what are the needs in the community right now? Like, what's going on? And, you know, Jamie's unbelievable. She's, like, always available. She said, you know, let's get Beth Paris on the phone because the senior center is going to shut down. And let's get Allie Ramstack on the phone and talk to her about, you know, what's going on with the families she keeps an eye on. From Human Services. From Human Services and Town Hall. And um, we talked to Beth, and they they literally shut the senior center down for fear for COVID fear, right? Sure. And she was worried because a lot of the seniors were really scared. Um, they were nervous to go to the grocery store. Probably many of them don't know about Instacart or you know sure, of these other services and stuff. Yeah, we that heard you can about use. the beach passes in the last one we talked. Oh Susan. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so you know we we ended up um, helping. I think it was seventy five families. That, that Allie keeps an eye on. So we did family dinners for them. So they would go and they would go to 1020 or Bodega. It, it rotated. Lisa coordinated all of this. And they would pick up a meal. But it was like, it was it was discreet. Like no one knew that their meal was a gift from the community. That's amazing. It was just paid for. So they knew what day to go, what time to go. And they would just pick it up. And then um, the senior center at lunch every day for like, I think it was like six months, 
we would do, it looked like a massive McDonald's drive-thru. Right. I heard about this drive-thru. At the senior center. So the restaurant tours would go, you know, David Nelson, Jim Sullivan. I went a few times. My mom went a few times. And like the seniors would line up in their cars and drive around. And it was like, you know, it was the only, it was the only social interaction that many of them had. Right. So it was really kind of insane. God bless you, David. And it really helped. Yeah. You know, you got us through it. As I said to my, I kept saying to my team, I'm like, this is a moment in in our history where like you can make a difference, and no one's ever going to forget what you do. If you behave like a jerk, you know they're never going to forget it. If you do the right thing, they're never going to forget it. And everyone's stressed, so like, let's just put our heads down and do the best we can and try to be creative and inventive and you and you know use the resources that are available to us to to make it happen and. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was, it's, I, I would not want to go through it again, but Do you think it's been helpful, like having like, I go back to your boys in town and you talk about Ward. I, I kind of know Ward through my sister Barb and, this, you know, he's a great guy in town. He's one of your original boys from fifth grade. Like, and I know you've got a few other friends like this in town. You can name them, yeah. but it, it probably isn't it helpful for you to have these figures planted in these great places, all helping each other. It's oh, kind of yeah. like the boys from uh, GM in the day. Oh yeah. No, I mean, we are so blessed and it's like you know i I talk to him almost every day every other day lately and uh during covid we talked every day multiple times a day and um yeah i mean because when he could when he can go you know number one he's a great reality check like if i have some totally harebrained idea he'll kind of say to me no that's really kind of stupid you should do that um but you know yeah, when, 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 when the Darien Foundation also supports a, an idea and validates it, you know, Sarah Woodbury, you know, Robin Nelson, I mean, some of the folks from the Darien Foundation that got involved too and helped us, like, it was an army of people that were behind it. And that, that's why I always say, like, I get too much credit. Like, I, I come up with some of the ideas, not all of them. Well, this is actually um, why I like hearing you, and I like that you're naming these people because the town. These are these quiet. This is why Taylor and I started this podcast. It's to hear exactly. the names of these people, these amazing, selfless, hardworking people that are making the synergy of this town successful. And oh yeah, they need the credit. Oh like, yeah, this, no, no, there's question. there are amazing people. It's the here. heartbeat of Darien, and you kept it going. You are just this natural diplomat. I don't know. Diplomat's the wrong word. Just like a social. I don't know. You seem like a social bee, but so I can't tell if you really like it, like you get energy from it, or if you go home at the end of the day and you're like, oh, my, I'm exhausted. I, I need my bourbon. I need my both. bullet. No, both. I would say both. I mean, I love. Like, I'll see you out at nighttime at 1020, and like, yeah. I will watch you walk by table to table. You go boom, boom. It's literally like you're like um, uh, one of those <laughs> balls in a, in a, um, in the machine. Pinball. Uh, your pinball from table to table, bumping as you get through any a restaurant or a downtown. Always with a huge smile. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I mean, again, I think that's what helps us make better decisions, you know, being connected to the community and like really engaging Absolutely. with people and. You know, for better or for worse. I mean, one day, literally, I'll never forget. Julie, Julie would laugh if I. She, well, she's probably hearing this at some point. But she, <laughs> we were walking out of church one day, and we were at St. John's Church, coming out to the parking lot, and my like seventh grade French teacher, Mister Hickson, was <laughs> was in the choir, and he. This is what it's like, Grandma Darian. Okay. You run into your sense. Oh yeah, grade. oh yeah. And we're walking out, and we and Mister Hickson walks up to us, and he said. This was in the early days of like the redevelopment stuff where not everybody was on board. People were a little nervous. Yeah. And Mr. Hickson came up to me in front of my kids and he said, and he was kind of older at that point and maybe not 
maybe not being <laughs> as careful with his words as he would have been 10 years before. And he said, well, you know, there are a lot of people that are really not happy with some of the work you're doing <laughs> around town, David. And I said, I know, I try to please as many people as I can in doing my work. And he, he said, but I tell them all, you're a really good guy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess that makes me feel a little better. But, you know, nice. I mean, we, 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 we get so much feedback, positive and negative from people. And isn't it shapes annoying? our decision making. But isn't it annoying sometimes? Don't you just want someone to just be like, I, 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 stop, stop, um, you know, criticizing. Just tell me, get, pat me on the back and say, good job. Good we luck. get a lot of positive feedback. So I can't say. What's the ratio of uh, feedback positive to negative? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say it has increased over time to 95.5. Wow. Yeah. I would say in the beginning, there was apprehension and nervousness. Always change. You know? And I understand that. Like when 1020 went up, you know, it's kind of funny now, but like when 1020 went up, there were people who thought, oh my God, it's so big. It's so overpowering on the street. And I would say, but do you remember what was there? There was a lumber yard warehouse building and a barbed wire fence around a wooded lot in the middle of downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, but this goes to your personality. What I was kind of getting at, I, I feel like it's because of your personality. These things are people feel like they're involved in the projects, and it makes it successful. Like if you had just did ten twenty as any regular builder, I don't know if it would have been as accepted if it weren't for you on the ground. Well, you know, to be doing your own PR. Well, to be. To be candid with you, like when we when we were first advancing the idea of the Corbin District, um, I felt that there was a disconnect between the Planning and Zoning Commission and the community. Mm. Interesting. Was that height issue, right? Height and other issues. You know, there was chatter of height, but there was also chatter of you know, are we going to just have too many apartments? I know you have some concerns about no. apartments and. Be, have, it's okay, it's we, okay. Yeah, well, you have to think about, about density. Of course, that's, that's, that's their job to question this day. Oh, right? totally. Yeah. But, I mean, it was really aggressive at times. <laughs> and um, and I felt that there was a big disconnect. And it was really hard. It was really hard on me. I mean, honestly, there were times I wanted to give up. Why? Was it like, because these were people you were friends, so you just... It made it harder because they were friends, I would say. But also, like, we were just spending so much money advancing the ball and trying so hard to do a good job. You know, we, we hired the best architects, and we, you know, were working to carefully design the thing. And, and I just, I guess I was struggling. I didn't understand, like, why there was such a disconnect. And it was really, really challenging. Well, and, there's, and there's so much on the line. Of course. You know, you're basically... You're betting everything you have on this idea. A small building, when you when a, when a small building goes bad, it's right. not a big deal. You can get through it. You mm-hmm. can probably get through it. But when a big project has a problem financially, you know, and that was my that was my challenge. I was trying to explain to the to the commission, you know, if we don't get this certain density, um, then we're we're it's not going to be economically feasible unless we can get what I would consider to be an unrealistic rent. Well, you st- and if I need to get too high of rents to rationalize the development cost, then I'm not going to be able to lease to the kind of people you want me to lease to. Right. And, and this will be five years from now, and you will all be gone, and I'm going to be the one blamed for the fact that I can only rent to, you know, Lululemon, J. Crew, you know, Banana Republic, whatever. But this is back then when those tenants were paying the higher rents. But so I wanted to be able to rent to local people. I wanted to be able to rent to the Kirby and Company. How'd you resolve this? You know, I would say that in the end, that's a really good question. In the end, we went back to the drawing board. You changed our, you first had architects from New York City. I remember. Yeah. That. 
Um, but he didn't really get what I was trying to do. No, they were amazing. But like, I remember when they even came to the architectural review board, it was just like, it was a New York, almost Greenwich style project. Mm -hmm. And that it didn't speak to a town that was more of a, not sleepy beach town, but just like an understated. Correct. No, it was more Newport or Greenwich kind of, you know, elevated aesthetic and it was too much. But they didn't also get, like at one point we had a meeting and I said, we really have to go back to the drawing board. And they were so wed to their idea. So you got, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't work together. And so I had to start again. And I would say that. And you got Meinfeld architecture. And we got Bruce back involved. Bruce had worked with us on the Mead house. Yep. And um, I would tell you that um, I do believe in the end, as much as it was, as painful as it was, in the end, the project is a much better project for the process we went through with the town. Yeah, so so to, I don't harbor like to bad feelings. Point, like, about how did you get there? Like, didn't the, the town brought up some great questions? I mean, this is what I love about our checks and balances of our town system. They brought up questions about feasibility for rich, digging two stories deep mm-hmm. in parking and what it costs to put up seven stories of a building, mm-hmm. what that mass looks like, and then what that density looks like, what that traffic looks like. Mm-hmm. So, was it that whole process, despite being I don't know a little uh, controversial at times? Yeah. Did that kind of make you rethink? Thinking. Yeah, we rethought the project and it it was in the end we ended up in a better place. So I really honestly as much as I would, you know, kind of go bananas some nights I'd be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it. Won't they just let me do what I'm trying to do? Trust me, it's going to be fine." <laughs> you know. Um in the end we ended up in a much better place and I feel like this project now that we're out there talking to people about it, it's been extremely well received by the by the tenant community. Uh, by the retailers, by the restaurateurs. But one of the key elements of the project was to be able to work with the existing people. Of course. And and not disturb them. So we've come up with this two-phase approach where we will build three buildings from the gas station next to Gopher Ice Cream. Behind that, there are two more buildings. There's a a dynamic martial arts. But you don't actually own those buildings, though, or do you? I do not. Oh, oh, oh. You I don't. do not. No. That's why my hair is getting grayer and grayer as we speak, because the owners of those buildings are becoming our partners in the project. Okay. Is that, how does, what's that relationship so basically, like? Basically, they're contributing their land into ventures with us. Okay. And we're bringing the knowledge and the financing and other land, and we're basically partnering together. So, how's that going? It's complicated. Is I it? mean, you're dealing with family assets and people who've owned properties for generations sometimes and multiple family members, and different tolerance for risk. This is your specialty, though, Dave, it's working really, with all people. It's really complicated. and so, But, but you know, I'm, I'm happy to say we're, I think we're on the one-inch line. Um, we're supposed to close our financing with People's Bank this month, mm. um, and we should see demolition next month, um, and we got to start the project. So, you know, the construction company's lined up. Uh, we've been signing leases for the first phase, and we're moving now into signing leases for the second phase. I think a lot of people would ask on this, like, <laughs> what's taken so long? Do you oh, yeah. That? Oh, yeah. All the time. Well, insulting. I mean, I'll give you an example. So <laughs> when we first started the project, Because we, we, the we've been talking was, about this for 10 years, right? We've oh, been yeah. so excited for 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like, Tell David, come it. on. Do you know how hard it is to maintain your enthusiasm <laughs> yeah. for 10 years? And we see you in 1020. Every table you ping pong between is like, hey, David, what's the latest? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I'll give you an example. So I'll give you a window into my world. So we started talking about the Corbin District in 2005. Um, Holly and David Hawes, good friends and realtors now at Compass, introduced me to Dr. Felder and Steve Zangrillo, who own the sports shop. Oh, yeah. They owned the post office at 30 Corbin, the 10 Corbin office building, 
where Barrett now and yep. the toy box is. And they owned um, 17 Old Kings Highway South, which was a one-story medical building. And they owned 33 Old Kings Highway South, which is where that community garden is. Yes, okay. Or farm, as I call it now. It's kind of a farm <laughs> run by Eric Yostin and yeah. Wayne Rydell. Um, and so we, we bought those first two properties uh, on the Corbin side, uh, the post office in 10 Corbin. And the original idea, honestly, was just to assemble the, the properties from the from Corbin Drive to Bank of America, but not including Bank of America. And, you know, the family that owned the property that Helen Ainson is in, um, the daughter of the original owner was in my wedding. She was a good friend of Julie's. I knew the family situation. I knew there was a good chance I could convince them to sell me the property. <laughs> You're hysterical. There were like 14 different families that owned just those properties. They were all separate parcels wow yeah people says what people don't realize 14 families there were 12 actually there were 12 12 owners from corbin drive to bank of america i-95 to the post but doesn't it get more expensive to buy the owner you start with the one to get the cheapest deal but by by number 12 aren't they i mean if it was me i'd be giving your own for your money dan like how badly do you want this yeah yeah. Yeah, that happened you're so close that happened (laughs) who was the last who was the last person by coincidence or do you really have to ruin the tone of this podcast who was the last person you had to um the the worst i don't know i don't want to say i'm not (laughs) gonna go down that road i'm not going down that road (laughs) so they were all terrible no i'm kidding they were were all amazing people but but basically we were only focused on those properties and then as Penny and I got deeper into it, and Dick Umpel, Penny and I were, and my dad were the partners. As 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 we got deeper into it, and Penny and I are the ones kind of like really living it in the day to day. We kept looking at the Bank of America building, and we're like, if you go over there and look, if you go to like Green and Tonic and look, you'll see that the elevation is different. Yeah, it needs it's like a monolithic old office building. It just needs a lot. Yeah, yeah, and. And it's at the entrance of our town's business district, of all things. So it really yeah, sets right the tone. The it's the gateway. Yeah. It's the gateway. It's not a great welcome mat. So, so basically, we started thinking about the B of A building, and then we started talking to the owner of the B of A building. That's got a very complicated ownership situation. There's an owner of the land. There's a company that built the building that has a ground lease, like a long-term ground lease. And Bank of America has a lease with an option to buy it all. And so we started talking to all of them to say, why don't you become a part of our project? This was in like 2010. So this goes back a ways. Yeah. Um, we bought Chuck's Steakhouse to put Bank of America there. Oh, yeah. I remember Chuck's on the post road where Shake Shack yeah. used to be. Wow. So I was, I, was, I was out on the boat one day, and I ran into this great guy, Grant Tankus, who used to be a waiter at Chuck's, but he also has now this very cool business, Soundview Millworks. He builds these great cutting boards. Yeah, They're yeah, yeah. I knew, cool. knew the name. Okay. Good, good guy. Grew up in Darien, member of the Neuroton Yacht Club, I think. Um, so he, he said to me, he came up to me and he goes, you know, you should look at Chuck's Steakhouse. I think it's going to be put on the market for sale. And I knew that the zoning regulations would allow a bank branch drive through to go there. Mm. There's a quirk in the zoning regs that allows a drive through in that district. This is why zoning loves and hates you. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, we got to get that. So I called Penny. I'm like, we have to buy this because we could we could put Bank of America. So you there. and Penny were partnered up. With we were, a lot. Yeah, we were. We had done the Corbin stuff together, and um, the first two. Yeah. And we were marching down trying to assemble the others. Talking about B of A. I met with the folks from B of A. I said, what do you think about this location? They said that looks good. That I think that would work. So we bought it. Then. We had to buy it quickly. 
Bank of America's process takes a while. They went for approval and they ended up deciding they didn't want to be on that side of the highway. So they wanted to be, as they put it, on the 50-yard line. Ah. And so they said, after we bought it, you know, we, we, we're not going to go oh there. Boy. So that was kind of a dark call. Right. And, um, which thank- is now, we won't go, but that's, which is now the Shake Shack. Yeah, thankfully. Which is a lovely property. Worked out yeah, great. thankfully, we ended up doing something really cool there with Shake Shack. We got to know the folks from Union Square Hospitality, which has been great, which I think will be of benefit to the big project. My kids are grateful. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I love it. But now we're back to- Have you to- tried the Korean chicken sandwich? No. Uh, we actually ordered for there, my husband and I, the other day, my husband was like, they have a Korean chicken sandwich. Oh, try it. It's killer. It looked good. It's so good. That's a new addition. Uh, but basically, they said, put us on the 50-yard line. So we started working on how to do that. It would have destroyed the circulation in our um, on our corner where the toy box is because they needed a drive-through. So I went to Vinny, the owner of the gas station, and said, Vinny, you know, it's your lucky day. <laughs> you know, would you be game to work with me if I could create an opportunity to build a bank branch on your site? Would you want to partner with us and do this? And he said, yeah, I mean, show me what you got. Like, figure it out and let's talk about it. So that began a new dialogue with the bank to try to get them to commit to taking that space. They would move from the existing location into a new building that would go there, and then we would be able to take down their their current building at 1120 Post Road. So we started the dialogue with B of A, but literally, I mean, they're a massive organization. And it took, it took us, well, I ended up having to go to the chairman of B of A. I got, I got rejected. They rejected the site after we got zoning approval. They rejected it. The second site. The, the gas second station site, site. The gas station site. And I said to them, listen, you know, I know, I've been studying Bank of America presentations. I know that if I could meet the chairman of Bank of America, I know he would be supportive of this new location. Darien is, an, is yeah. one of the most affluent towns in the country. Your branch presents terribly. It's so dated. Yeah. Look at what we're talking about. Like, I know he would say yes. Yeah. And they were like, please don't go to him. Please don't go to him. And I'm like, I'm very sorry, but I've invested a lot of Prague. time and money. I'm going in. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get to him. And so I weaseled my way through a friend of a right. friend of a friend. Right. And I got to Brian Moynihan, who introduced me to Dean Athanasia, who introduced me to David Tyree. And I went up to Boston about a year and a half ago. And I said, I have this idea, and I'm sitting in the boardroom at B of A, and I said, I have this idea for downtown Darien. I'd, I'd love you for you to consider this. Let me show you what you're in right now, and let me show you where you would go. And David looked at me, and he said, this is a no-brainer. And I said, I know. And uh, anyway, they agreed to it in the summer of 19, but they only signed the lease about a month ago. Right. They wanted to see what it looked like, what the signs were. Well, no, it's just, it's just a huge organization and it moves like a big battleship. But so again, that was not, that that, was that's not gating. your property either. That's the one Correct. you don't own. Correct. I, so Bank of America is going where the gas station is. Correct. And all of our existing tenants are in the block on the other side of the street. They will relocate into two new buildings that will go in. On um, East Corbin. On, on, on Corbin Drive. East Corbin. The gas station. Yep. yep. Closer, to, Closer 1020 to 1020 to Gopher. Exactly. Oh, oh, oh okay. And then we would take everything from the triangle back, from the, from Corbin Drive to the exit ramp down and build mm-hmm. a second phase. So okay. it'll, take about, it'll take about 14, 15 months to get the retailers into the first floor of the new buildings from when we start. And then we would immediately so take next down- Next summer, maybe? Be next, next summer, fall. next fall. 
I just can't move them during Christmas because we don't want to disturb their business during Christmas, you know, the Christmas season because that's like prime time for them. Yeah. And then um, like the triangular land would get demolished and then the new buildings would go in there. The triangular land, which is back by, you know, the post office Correct. behind there, right? Correct. From Authentica. Corbin to, yeah, all the way to the B of A to the exit ramp. And so that would come down as phase two. And, um, you know, that's probably going to, that will take 18 to 24 months. So it's a three plus year construction effort. But I think the way we've set up the phasing of it, you know, it's pretty tactical and it's pretty surgical. So the first three buildings go up. And what I try to tell people is, you know, when we built 1020, it didn't cause chaos. Yeah. You know, the reality of it is we own all that other land now on the back. So we have places to park construction workers and, you know, construction material and so on and so forth. This is why you hire Kate Perez. That's why we have Kate Perez. She nails this stuff. She's super woman. Oh, yeah. Tell me this about, um, I want to talk about East Lane, right? Yes, But before that... You know, when it comes to the other developments in town, your other the other commercial developments we got, you know, um, over at Neroten Heights, mm-hmm. we've Palmer's. got we got Federal Realty there. We've got Federal. Palmer's doing their own development. We got Vaquero Brothers in town. Is it competition when you guys are all working, or is it like a rising tide brings up all ships? And so, since one guy's developing, you guys are all developing, or is it, or is there a little like shoot? I could that property we could have inc- included um, in and all done it. Like, I would say, like, we're definitely working together. We collaborate. We share ideas. More people is good. I mean, you know, my mentality isn't like I have to do all of it. You know, I just want to do a really good job with what I do. Yeah. Um, that's the most important thing. That, you know, kind of came from wherever I came from and also Penny. Um, sort of an obsession with the details and getting it right. So you can't do everything right, right? You can only do so many things. And this is a complicated project. Um I think we're, you know, we're we're definitely competing with federal a bit, like with for certain tenants. So the people that don't know is federal is the one they're developing their road and on Heights Road. They're developing the eastern section of Heights Road, which surrounds the Equinox, the mm-hmm. Walgreens, where the old Stop and Shop was. Yeah, so we cross paths like in you know tenant pursuit conversations, but I think that the, the projects are really different. They're very very different. Um, that's more neighbor, and in, in my mind, that's more neighborhood retail. It's kind of what it's always been, mm-hmm. you know, drugstore, liquor store, grocery store, you know, maybe a restaurant or a coffee shop, a donut shop. Everybody wants another donut shop. I want another ice cream. Yeah, Dew's Donuts. Are they yeah. coming back? I hope so. I mean, you know, we have to be careful because, you know, the baker got a little upset with us with about, about Dew's. Flower Water Salt wasn't all that excited oh. about it because he wanted to do donuts too. Um, okay. So we've kind of throttled back on the donuts for a while just to kind of see how things go. We need um, a little donut competition. I yeah, like that. Yeah, and, like and that. Wiley Dufresne, the, the chef behind Dew's Donuts, and I went to Col- Colby together. Oh, so yeah. we've been friends a long time. And um, Were you guys in the underground frat together? He was not in the underground <laughs> frat. He was too cool. He was much cooler than me. Isn't the underground cat frat the coolest thing of all? No, no, <laughs> not to Wiley. He's, he's cooler. He, he is really, he's a cool cat. And, uh, but you know, we, we, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. Look, there's a lot of enthusiasm about living in Darien right now. And I, I think part of what's driving, I hope that part of what's driving, you know, the real estate, the residential real estate market is what we're all doing, that people see improvement. Um, you know, my point to the town, when we were talking about the zoning effort and we were working through, you know, what, what's the impact of the, the, um, these apartments, you know, my point was, we know who rents our apartments today. Penny owns a number at Grove Street Plaza. We, I own the ones at 1020. We own together Grove uh, Mead House. 
there's only one child in in the school system from all those apartments. And that's because of the fact that his he's he's living in one of the affordable units and his mom's a teacher. So she got that unit that I donated or committed to rent affordably for 10 years then. Um, so the the reality is like empty nesters from Darianne, there was a there's been a long period of time where someone's kids got through, you know, a couple's kids got through the school system and there was no Where'd he go? great Where'd he go? choice. There was no great choice because the apartments were kind of small and they weren't what people really wanted. So they moved to New Canaan or they moved to Rowayton and they moved to a smaller property paying too More much taxes. property tax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my hope, and I really think this is what's going to happen, is that the people who end up renting these will be renters by choice who basically, or, and we may sell 12 or 15 of them as condos, but the idea is that there'll be those people that want to like maintain presence here, but simplify life. Sure. You know, maybe they'll sell the house and now there's a bid for the house which two years ago there wasn't. Right, right. The gift of COVID. So if there was going. a gift of COVID, there's right. that. Um, Definitely. So the world's changed a lot. And I think that we're in a really unique and awesome place right now. And I think that like town government, you know, the board of selectmen led by Jamie, the board of ed, you know, led by Duke Deneen, planning and zoning led by Steve and you on ARB, board of finance, what you guys are doing. Mike John Zagrodsky, Mike Netter. Like this team is awesome and i think they're really making great local decisions and that's you know one of the things that does worry me a little bit about i'll hit the elephant in the room at the moment um it's one of the things that worries me about some of these zoning proposals from hartford i just don't think they're they're well thought out and i could make a lot of money doing much simpler projects exploiting Mm -hmm. those zoning proposals yep um but i'm not going to do it um, I don't believe in it. I don't think people should be parking on Prospect Street or you know, you. Oak Crest um, because there's no parking in their driveway or on their property. I just think right. these are like, that's not why people move to these places. I don't, I don't get it at all. Well, and, talk to us about East Lane because that was a really thoughtful thing that you did. And I know yeah. it was difficult, but I think that it's been great for the community. And, and talk to us about oh, that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, listen. I mean, Fred Conzi was the chairman of the Zoning Commission before... Uh, John Cini. And, you know, Fred always used to, Fred's an ex-banker too. He was a real estate banker at Citibank. And he's just a pretty thoughtful guy. And he used to talk to me a lot about, you know, kind of his view of what his job was as a planning and zoning commissioner. And his view was that you had to look at it almost as like an asset management decision-making process, right? Where you're looking at strengths and weaknesses of the town and trying to figure out, you know, how do we make improvements that make sense? Like, so Fred was... Fred was one of the strong advocates for Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of criticism and negativity around Whole Foods. Oh, heck yeah. It abuts a residential zone, of course. Yeah. Large signage, yeah. like, you know, yeah. increased traffic yeah. to and our town. Yeah, there were people that were really against it. Now, some of the people that were against it were the other s- supermarkets that were afraid of, you know, competition in the market. Right. Um, that was behind a lot of the opposition. But, you know, the reality was Fred would say, look at things on a portfolio basis. And so when we were doing our zoning process... And Federal was going to do their project, and Palmer's, the Palmer family was going to do their project and just do typical affordable housing on site. Remember, under the inclusionary zoning regs, you can do it on site, you can put the 12% on site, off site, or uh, pay the fee in lieu. Right. But it's, it's up to the discretion of the commission. The commission has the authority uh, the, or the ability to tell you what to do. Oh, interesting. So we could present an idea. 
but they could reject it. Based on what's appropriate for that neighborhood. That, in that moment. That yeah. And also in that moment. So like going back to East Lane. Yeah, they or needed the cash. Going back to Mead House. They the cash. You know, at that moment, they wanted money to, to fund the pre-development for this senior housing idea. So they said, give us the money. We would like the money. That 300000 could create 20 units. Smart. Right? Whereas... 12% of eight units yeah, is one site. unit, yeah. they get one. Yeah, smart. That was the thinking, right? So the way we looked at it was, Palmer's were gonna just do typical affordable on-site. Federal was gonna just do typical affordable on-site. It's the easiest thing to do. In some ways I should have done that. I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. <laughs> like I'll often do something that I think is right, but is like- A lot more work. A lot more work. And like, you know, sometimes I kind of say, why, why am I doing this? Like but that bumper sticker I saw that says, do hard things. I, I should, I should, I need that, I need that, I need that, but, but basically, you know, the town had, I think in a very thoughtful way worked like the housing authority, Joe Warren, you know, and that team, uh, I don't know who Joe Sue, Warren is. What's her name? Um, Santa. Yeah. Oh, He's a firefighter. Yeah, Santa. Yeah, um, it's the easiest description. Jenny Schwartz, you know, they, they worked to basically double the Allen O'Neill project, the, uh, Heights. Yeah. In their own Heights. You know, so they doubled the inventory of what I'll call like typical affordable housing there. The town worked again with the housing authority to double, approximately double, what was the old town hall homes and to modernize that, which yep. I think came out pretty well. Which is for also right? for senior for senior living. So uh, we looked at it and we said, okay, so you doubled Allen O'Neill, you doubled the seniors, you've got Palmer's doing typical affordable and federal doing typical affordable. I have a lot of friends who have children with de developmental disabilities. And, um, you know, I kind of know, I've been hearing more and more as we've gotten older about the worries and the fears that they have because there's only one group home in Darianne. It's really scary. There's only six beds in Darianne for adults wow. with disabilities. And I did a little research and I found out that if you have a son or daughter with a developmental disability in the state of Connecticut, your son or daughter is likely to live with you until you die or become incapacitated. Because the state is just has no money for the services and has no isn't really creating this kind of housing. Wow. So there was a property at the end of East Lane. It's a cul-de-sac with only one other house, and which was, is almost behind um, Rory's. There, if you cross the highway behind Trader Joe's, you cross the highway. Correct. And you take to the right is the new um, senior center. Assisted living. Uh, new assisted living, sorry, to the right on, um, I can't remember the street. Parklands. Oh, Parklands. Parklands. And then to the left there, after you cross that, is to East Lane. Correct. Oh, okay. So I sketched up this idea to build a number of affordable housing units because adults with developmental disabilities usually don't make much more than minimum wage. So they absolutely will qualify for the affordable housing. They won't make more than 80% of state median income. So we pitched this idea. What if we built two houses that look like a house that Jimmy Farrell might have built on Beach Drive, right. but have each of them has six apartments, six efficiency apartments inside. What would you think of that? They look like single family homes that yeah. are multiple family units inside. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's six efficiencies in each house, three per floor, and then there's like a lounge on each floor, like a college lounge, sure. and an office for the staff. That's awesome. Um, there's an elevator. There's a generator for each. Truly special, David. It's I mean, really cool. It gives me chills thinking about it. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what gives me chills. So we partnered with a group called Abilis, a nonprofit yeah. based in Greenwich to run it. Because I basically said, to be candid, like, I can't be involved in picking. I don't, I'm not capable of deciding who should live there. Um, and th they need services and supports. 
And so um, we, we researched the market. We interviewed a bunch of different agencies. We really appreciated the folks at Ableist and their kind of market-oriented approach to this business that they're in. And um, we, we partnered with them to do it. And so basically, we're going to build it and give it to them at the end of construction. It's a gift that we're Penny and wow. Dick Uncle and I are giving to them. You're just going to give it to them? We're giving it to them. That's and um, wow. they, Susan Schultz, who you had on here, yeah. I think, a couple weeks ago, Editor of Darien Times. Editor of the Darien Times. She wrote an article about East Lane about two weeks ago. And that article appealed, appeared in the paper. And within one day, Ableist received 100 phone calls from people that wanted that apartment, those Ugh. apartments. Whoa. The 12 apartments. I'm sure. So like, it, the we, demand is, is there. enormous. Yeah, like shouldn't, I mean, is this launching other ideas for you or developers in town of how we can also well, further? Look, I think... There's definitely a need for more of this type of housing in Darien. Um, I hope that we've created a model that people will copy. I mean, imitation, as I said before, is like the greatest mm -hmm. form of flattery. Like, there's already a group in Westport that's copied the idea that's, that's doing almost the same thing. I have to think it offers an opportunity for shared services inside the house too, right? Oh like, yeah, it makes service oh, yeah. provision easier. Oh yeah. Well, it there gets, was some pushback. Sense. There was some pushback. I did get pushback from some in the state who said, you know, the state of Connecticut doesn't really like group homes. They don't want group homes anymore. They think that you're kind of segregating the people with disabilities. You're not integrating right. them into okay. the community. There was that kind of mantra that we were getting. Yep. And, you know, they, I said, well, what, what, so what would you propose that we do? And they said, well, we would rather you scatter the people about, scatter the residents about throughout your project. Huh. And I said, well, number one, I'm not capable of managing that. Like, I'm a, I have a property management group. You know, Lisa manages some of our buildings, Sonia Trollson. But, like, we're not capable of providing the services. And if you scatter everybody, put one on a floor of one building, one person on two people on the floor of another building, the cost of servicing that, of supporting those people, is going to be higher. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the money to service the people that need the services. So how does that make sense? And it was a really weird, it was a really difficult and strange conversation. Um, I think that... Because it's a relatively small project, I think people sort of settled down and said, all right, let's just let it go and see what happens. Um, I'm really excited about it. I mean, Ableist, I'm very optimistic about what they're doing. And we've got a couple of announcements we're going to make soon about some other collaborations that we're doing with them that I think people Perfect. will be really excited about. This isn't just about housing. It's about employment. And um, This is where the conversation of zoning yeah, needs to great. go, in my opinion. Like, well, it's all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. It is all connected. And this idea, some of these ideas, I mean, they might be great in academia on paper, but in reality, what they work, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you got to come walk the walk and talk the talk yeah. and see if this actually, which yeah. is what you're doing. Like, yeah, but it's hear, hard. You know, it's really hard to push against the machine. Yeah, like, it's the machine really hard. Is in it's motion. like, it feels like there's this, you know, machine of like, well, we don't like that and we don't like this. And it's like, well, what do you, then what are you doing? Like, if you can criticize the idea, but if there's a 2,000 person waiting list, that hasn't moved in 20 years. Right. This That's, gives so much hope. That says to, to me, you're not doing anything. Like, and so therefore, you know, I have, I, Dick Unthold, my partner, had a, has a great expression, which he, I think, stole from Louis Pasteur, nature abhors a vacuum. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, if you're not doing the job, the market will step in and, and do it for you. You know, if, if Darien isn't allowing big enough apartments for people, you know, people are buying two units at Hale Lane at Middlesex Commons and combining them to make what they want. Right. Yeah. Um, and so why shouldn't we just think about like how needs are changing? 
There are more children in this community now with disabilities, developmental disabilities. I mean, I've gotten letters from families, you know, for weeks and months now, and really two years, talking about how they don't want to send their kids to Boston. You know, their their son or daughter, their 22-year-old son or daughter to Boston, but there's no housing here. How great would it be to stay in this town, in the house you grew up in, to have your child living independently in the town and get a job in the town? Yeah. That's great. That's the goal. That's awesome. So I think you're going to see some really exciting things. That that will, that project will actually be done. We began construction of that, um, and that will be done in September. That's exciting. So we're really rocking. The team we hired there built Penny's project at um, Noble Brothers, and it's really it's really rocking. That'll be done very soon. That is phenomenal. Okay. I got a question for you. The future of brick and mortar. People are saying COVID. People are questioning it. They're saying, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They're nervous about it. They think, you know, Amazon's taken over. Why? First, first I, I go against this, by the way, because I, I love the idea of of place setting, um, place creating. Place making. Mm-hmm. Place making. What, yeah. <laughs> Good job, Taylor. Yeah, no problem. Place making. Right? This is what you do. This is the idea behind Core Project. But people are saying, you know, brick and mortar might be starting to be non-existent. So I guess that what I would say to that is, well, first of all, I think Amazon is, while convenient, I think they're just the devil. The devil. I mean, they're right behind go- social do, and media. Do you, and do you really think I'm that? I'm shrink into my corner. Well, do you really? <laughs> you look, we all, do, we all do it. My door. <laughs> we all do it. We all do it. But do you really think that shipping can be free forever? That do is you really the scary think? Part. I mean, the reality of it is that, like, they're doing that to buy market share, to buy presence, to to, to push out the mom the competition. and pops. Yep. And once they have control. Do you think the pricing will remain competitive or do you think they'll just be a monopoly basically, you know, pushing the price to whatever level they can? I mean, it, it's not logical. And um, I think that, you know, there's a place for buying like commodity product buying over the internet and Amazon, like shipping, buying your soap, buying your, yeah. you know, your shampoo, your razor blades, whatever things that you are just, shouldn't kinda, pay rent to house that I don't think you really, front. I don't think you really need a storefront for that stuff per se, but right. But you know, the reality of it is all these brands that started off as direct to consumer brands like Allbirds, Warby Parker, you know, Roan, yeah. guess what? They're getting, they're more. all opening stores Yeah. because what they've realized is that, um, you, the, the Google now and all the you know social media. Number one, it's gotten more crowded. There's so many people pushing ads on Instagram and Facebook that you don't even see the message anymore. There's mm-hmm. just too much noise. And also, like the search engine optimization stuff, it's just getting expensive. So acquiring customers in their parlance online has become more expensive than acquiring customers through a brick and mortar store. Interesting, and that's a fact. COVID was an amazing laboratory. Like the pandemic. If it was anything good, it wasn't many good things, but if it was anything good, it was like a laboratory for seeing who could pivot yeah. and survive and who thought that they could just keep doing what they had been doing and get through this. Mm-hmm. And those who didn't pivot probably didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Some had a tough time. You know, Erica Jensen, Helen Ainson had a very tough time because mm-hmm. there were no weddings. Mothers right. of the bride were not buying... There was a crowd Mother that wasn't of the going out dresses. Much, right? But I have a picture. I wish I could show you. Erica Jensen, the owner of Helen Ainson, came to our office with her rent payment and a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and <laughs> she basically great. came and said, you know, we've turned the corner. Oh, I can okay. see it now. And you guys oh. believed in me and helped me get through it. Oh. And I want you guys to have this champagne. So oh she gave our God, team a bottle of champagne. Beautiful. That's awesome. And we just were like, 
That's what it's all about, yeah. right? Are you going to buy your wedding dress online? No. Or is your, you know, um, you know, if if a daughter gets married, are you going to buy Evie? Yeah. I mean, when she gets married, are you going to buy a wedding dress online uh, for her? I don't think so. Yeah. It'll probably be a gymnastics later. There's, right? There is that experience still, and that's yeah. what you're still going for in your in your projects. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and what we've seen with Grove Street Plaza is that people in this community, like, they love being together, and they love, you know, gathering and having a coffee outside and stopping by the bakery. and Yeah. Oh, the sense of community that you've brought. It's pretty amazing. It yeah. is. So, you know, last question, what do you want to do next? Um, yeah. I want to get through this project <laughs> intact. Um, Fair. My, with my family still loving me. Um, it's hard. It's been really hard. So right now, I am literally only focused upon, you know, running my business well and getting through this moment. But, you know, I have to say, like, I got a call from a woman in Cheshire this week or last week about East Lane who has a, a son with disabilities. And basically, she said to me, like, you know, would you come to Cheshire and build, right. build a project like East Lane up Don't here? Don't other towns want your work? Yeah. I mean, I've thought about, you know, the possibility of doing some of that. I love charitable work. Like, I love using my skills to do something impactful, you know, for people who need help. So, you know, I think I'd like to, in the future, I'd like to maybe find a portion of my day where I spend doing that kind of a thing. That's awesome. Which, I, if I could do that, you know, that would make me really happy. Um, I don't want to do another pro I don't want to do another project quite as complicated as this one. This was a lot. <laughs> I mean, 15 years, it's a lot. And you and Julie are still going, going fair and well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We have some, some tough moments. Like, you know, I had some tough news in the last couple of weeks that I was like reeling from, but she's oh. an amazing supporter. Oh yeah. And we didn't even talk about your kids. We've heard great things about Lily. Oh, Lily's amazing. So Lily, uh, is a, a freshman at Colgate, you know, really having a, a good, as good a time as one could going to college as a freshman during COVID. Yeah, um, she's adapted really well. Darian was amazing for her. She worked at Morley. She like rocked it at the depot. She did a but lot of good a great work writer. at the depot. She loved to write. Susan uh, Schultz gave her a job writing some articles, um, which was great. And uh, she's got a voice that she like wants you to hear. That's and awesome. so we're super proud of her. And, and you have my, four kids. Yeah, my son Ryan is a postie. Okay. Oh, good. good um, so he's a, a sophomore. No, ju junior. Excuse me. And uh, it's like he can bring the town together, but he can't remember what grade his kids are in. Uh, <laughs> COVID uh, brain. No, I have COVID trying. brain. COVID. But he's he's doing great. And uh, Annie is a freshman, and then I have Sarah, who's a sixth grader, and they're all they're all doing. What great. was the news that you lately? Oh, just you know, in the in the eleventh hour of this project, like we always have these bumps. Yeah, little bumps where something comes up. And we have an issue with the state right now. That's why when people say, why are you not going now? I'm like, do you have three hours? I could sit here and talk to you for three hours. If young hours Genevieve about. could give you a piece of advice today, if Genevieve's from Wall Street, raising his hand and going to Prague, what would be your advice to the man sitting here? Stay in Prague. Don't do it. No, <laughs> Stay I'm kidding. Prague. No, don't do that. Pour another you know bullet. What? I honestly, like, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I mean, the reality is it's... I feel like I, 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 it sounds so corny, but I feel like this incredible privilege being able to do this work. And, you know, my parents raised me here. You know, my parents are still here. My dad works with us. He's 77, 78. Wow. You're going to make people um, jealous. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, and then getting to work with Penny and Ward and like the Glassmeyer family. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty magical. 
So, and if it comes out the way I think it will, you know, that's our legacy. Like, so that's pretty cool to have an impact like that. I mean, I, I remember when we were building 1020, I was having like a dark day and I ran into <laughs> Shirley Nichols, who was at the time the um, head of the land trust. She was the executive director for the Darien Land Trust. And she looked at me and she's like, you don't look very good. Are you okay? And I said, I'm okay. But, you know, I'm kind of just trying to get through this situation I've got here now. And I want to make sure I, I get this right. And she looked at me very seriously and she goes, yes, you should be stressed. You know, one day you'll be worm food and these buildings oh. will be still standing. Yes. So you have to get it right. And I thought, wow. These buildings last. That's long. pretty profound. <laughs> like. I'm not sure that's the message I needed at that moment, but you know, the reality of, of it is that it's true. And so I'm, I'm excited for the future. I'm super excited about, I'm thankful for all the support we've had from so many people over the years. Um, I'm grateful that people trust us to do this work um, because I think there's a big element of trust in all of this. And um, no, I just can't wait to get it done. And I can't <laughs> wait for my kids to stop saying, dad, Will this be done before I graduate from college? (laughs) Starting with Lily. (laughs) That's hysterical. Well, yeah, I mean, truly, this is a great place to wrap it up because, you know, you've really done such great work in our community. Thank you. Thank you for helping keep it going through COVID. Thank you for growing it and being patient enough to sit through 10 and 15 years of zoning meetings. Um, And bringing all these people together. We've named named so many on this podcast. Keeping so many, so many great people involved and and moving forward during this difficult time. So David Genovese, my hat is off to you. Thank you. you. Cheers, David Genovese. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much.